That's wonderful. Glad to see all that excitement uh, to head to Sunday school today, so that's good. I hope you felt at least partly that excited to come to church this morning, so uh, that's wonderful. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, number 5 in our series as we are working our way through uh, these early chapters of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs in chapter 3. I don't have any hard documented data for this thought, but based on my observations over the years, I believe that one of the most common pieces of advice that is ever given in this modern era is the phrase, follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. Believe in yourself and so forth. And I I have jokingly called it the Hallmark Syndrome. Uh, That seems to be the theme of every Hallmark movie, follow your heart and believe in yourself. Uh, Solomon would be shaking his head in disbelief at such foolishness. And for people who know the Lord and who are trying to live for Him, our rock, our stability, our source of wisdom, our light to guide us is the Word of God, not our own hearts. And our text today in Proverbs 3 kind of blows the Hallmark Syndrome right out of the water. We're going to read Proverbs 3, the first eight verses. Proverbs 3, the first eight verses. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days, <coughs> excuse me, and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones." We spoke at length last week about Bible reading, Bible memory, and Bible application. And I just want to remind you again that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your connection to the Word of God is a crucial, essential part of your spiritual life. We must read the Word and memorize the Word and apply it to our lives. And when we say apply it to our lives, we mean to live what it says and to do what it says and obey what it says. Because Scripture is the foundation for spiritual growth. It's the rock that holds up our spiritual house. It's the beacon of light that shows us the way to go. And the stronger your connection is to the Word of God, the stronger your spiritual life is going to be. So it must not only be read, it must be applied to our lives. As I mentioned to you last week, I think two or three times, I'll say it again today, we will never be delivered from sin and temptation only by information. Knowing facts and information about the Bible is not what will deliver you from selfish attitudes and sinful actions and unholy words and life-dominating addictions. Bible information won't do that. Bible application does that. 
Obeying the word of God does that. Jesus said exactly those things in his, some of his closing words in the Sermon on the Mount. In that illustration Jesus used about the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. Many of you know those words, you know, that the Sermon on the Mount is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And down near the end of chapter 7, Jesus said that the man who hears my words but does not do them, is like the man who built his house on the sand. He's a foolish man, Jesus said. The storms of life come and beat on his house, and his house crashes. But the man, he says, who hears my words and does them, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms come and beat on his house, and his house stands, because he has built it on a rock. And remember with me now, Jesus said that both of those men had the same information. Both of those men heard Jesus' words, but only one of them had obedience. We will never be delivered from sin and temptation by information only. We have to do what the Word of God says. We must obey it. And we're looking, as you remember, at these lectures of these teaching sessions that Solomon is giving to his son that are recorded for us in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And they kind of set the stage and teach us the values and, and develop the worldview that enables us to understand all the rest of the Proverbs. And Solomon continues his theme here in chapter 3 of connecting with the Word of God when he says, My son, do not forget my law. The very first phrase. We've spoken about this word, I think, in, in weeks past. The word law, the Hebrew word Torah, meaning the body of all the teaching and instruction uh, that, that is usually applied to the writings of, uh, of Moses. If you were to ask a Jewish person, what is the Torah? He'd say, well, it's the writings of Moses, which for us we call them the, the Pentateuch, uh, just a Greek word for the five scrolls or five books. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, but it's also, the word Torah is also used to indicate the whole body of instruction, the entire body of teaching that God has given to us. Uh, Solomon uses this word when, when he says, My son, do not forget my Torah. Do not forget all of this teaching that I am giving you from God. My son, do not forget it. And of course, we have to remember it in order to obey it. Because remember, we, we aren't just looking for information. We are applying our hearts to obey. Because we, we, aren't, just, we aren't just seeking information. And, and if, we are, if we are really remembering God's Torah, if this is true for us, uh, then in his, if we're remembering His instruction to us, then what are we going to be doing? If we're connecting with the Scripture, what will be happening in our life? There are four, four thoughts I want to share with you today. I was wondering how I might title them, and I guess I just, uh, I just decided to call them four actions of obedience that I see in this passage here. Four actions of obedience. Because if, we, if that first phrase, my son do not forget my law, if that's true for us, then what will we be doing? What are these four actions of obedience? I'll give them to you and then we'll look at them one at a time. We will sow its truth in our hearts, meaning the law. We will sow its truth in our hearts. We will show its mercy in our relationships. We will see its blessing in our lives. And we will know its author in our choices. 
Now we're going to look briefly, sort of briefly, at the first three, then I'm going to focus most of our time on number four. The first thought, we will sow its truth in our hearts. Some of you veteran Whitetail Baptist Church folks will remember that when the Bible speaks of the heart, it does not mean the muscle in your chest that pumps your blood. It is a reference to the, the, the inner man, that, that part of us that thinks and reasons and chooses. The heart is not the center of our feelings. That's the way we use the word here in modern America. Uh, we talk about, I just love you with all my heart, or I just bothered my heart. We're always talking about our, our, our emotions. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the center of your feelings. It is talking about the center of your thinking. Our thoughts and our motives and our attitudes and our words and our actions all flow from the heart, from the inner man. So when Solomon says in verse 1 there, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. He is directing us to take the truth of the Torah, all of God's instructions, and to put it into our inner man. This isn't a one-time action, it's not a one-time prayer, it's not a one-time experience. It, it is a continuous process of sowing the seed of the Word into our inner man so that the Word will be growing in us and our thoughts and our attitudes and our opinions and our perspectives and our values and our motives all will be reflecting the truth of God's Word because we will be sowing that seed of the Word into our hearts. My son, Solomon says, do not forget my law. Sow its truth in your inner man. Second thought, we will show its mercy in our relationships. Look at verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Many Hebrew people in ancient times would write portions of Scripture on small pieces of wood or metal or pottery, or they'd make jewelry out of it. They would wear it to remind them of what the Scriptures say. Remember, of course, we all of you have copies of the Bible here. You've, some of you may have bunches of copies of the Bible. I've got a bunch of copies of the Bible at, at, at my house of various translations. But you've got to remember that that's relatively new. Nobody had, hardly anybody had ever had a Bible in their homes until the invention of the printing press, and that was only about 500 years ago. So for thousands of years... Very few people had copies of the Bible in their homes. In Solomon's day, the copies of the Scripture, the scrolls, uh, were, were in the temple in Solomon's day. Uh, so folks would do these things. They would write portions of the Scripture on a small piece of wood, hang it on their wall, much like we do have plaques at home. Or they would take a piece of metal or pottery, they would make some jewelry, they would, they would put a verse or a portion of a verse on it, they, they, they would wear it, they, they would do it in order to help them remember the word and live it every day. And so not only does Solomon really approve of that practice, he reminds his son to write it on the tablet of his heart, his inner man. And he specifically mentions mercy and truth, these two words here, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Beautiful words, the word translated mercy, actually translated a bunch of different ways throughout the Old Testament. It's a very, very common, well-known uh, Hebrew word, chizad. It means devotion, kindness, loyalty, loving kindness. Uh, many translations translate it steadfast love, love that's based on a relationship. 
And so he said, don't let that depart from you. Don't let it leave you. Write it on the tablet of your heart. And the, the word truth uh, should be understood as faithfulness and reliability and trustworthiness and dependability. So when you put those two thoughts together, devotion and kindness and loyalty and steadfast love and faithfulness and dependability and so forth, you can see that these are very powerful relationship concepts. And when we treat people this way, we can see why we would find, as he said in verse 4, we would find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. I guarantee you that in your home and on the job and at school and when you're out in the community and when you're conducting your business and when you're shopping and when, wherever you are, if you are living with kindness and loyalty and loving kindness and steadfast love and faithfulness and trustworthiness and dependability, if that's what your life is, I guarantee you, you're going to gain favor in the sight of God and man. Those relationship words. So Solomon says, my son, do not forget my law. Sow its truth in your inner man and show its loving kindness and loyalty and faithfulness in your relationships. And then our third thought, we will see its blessing in our lives. When we are remembering God's instructions to us, we will see blessings from the Lord. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Certain preachers out there claim you're going to be rich and healthy your whole life, if you give money to their ministry, of course. Or pray a certain prayer, or you look at yourself in the mirror every day and pat yourself on the back and tell yourself how wonderful you are, and then blessings will just start falling out of the sky on you. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not what Solomon is teaching here. But Solomon does specifically say to his son that life will generally go better when you obey the Lord. You will have trials and tribulations, but you will also see the blessing of God. And he says that in verse 2, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 8. You see verse 2, length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Verse 4, you'll find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Verse 6, he will direct your paths, meaning the Lord. Verse 8, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Doesn't mean life's going to be perfect and that you'll never have trouble. And that you're never going to have anything go wrong any time, and you'll always be healthy and rich and all that stuff. No, that, that's the prosperity gospel. What Solomon is saying is life will generally go better when you are obeying the Lord. You will see its blessing in your life. Because there's a very, very important principle that I want to just drive home to you for just a moment. That's this. Sin complicates life. I've lived a fairly long time. And I've watched all sorts of people in all sorts of circumstances, and I can guarantee you, sin complicates life. Foolish choices complicate life. Selfishness ruins relationships. Dishonesty destroys friendships. Arrogance turns people off. Lying wrecks trust. And you know, there are all kinds of health issues that are directly connected to sinful lifestyles. Sin complicates life. Sin makes life very complex. And, and, and if we are connected to the Scripture, sowing its truth in our hearts, and showing its loving kindness and its faithfulness in our relationships, then, then your life just got a lot simpler. We generally don't wind up in complicated, confusing situations. 
If, if we are obeying the Lord and doing what He wants us to do, there just tends to be a whole lot less drama and a whole lot less trauma. So Solomon says, My son, do not forget my law, and you will see its blessings in your life. But then the fourth principle, you will know its author in your choices. In a read verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Those are some of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. I memorized them in Sunday school 60 years ago when I was a kid. If you've never memorized them, then I will say that can be your first Bible memory assignment for this week. And add verse 7. I wish they'd made me learn verse 7 when I was a sick five or six year old. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So if, if you haven't memorized those, that's your, that's your assignment for this week. Memorize uh, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Those three verses. Write it out on a 3 by 5 card. Stick it in your pocket. Carry it around with you. Read it every day. Just in a matter of a week or two, you'll have it down. They are great and powerful life verses for anyone trying to follow the Lord. And if we could memorize this and infuse it into our hearts and, and live it every day, it would be transforming. It would be life-changing. And when the Bible tells us in this verse not to lean on our own understanding, it is not telling us to be irrational or to stop thinking. The Bible never builds this wall of separation between our brain and our faith. In fact, the book of Proverbs speaks very, very highly of, of understanding. I'll just read you a few verses from Proverbs. Incline your heart to understanding. Raise your voice for understanding. Understanding will guard you. Those were all from chapter 2 last, last week. Happy is the one, or blessed is the one who gains understanding. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding. To get understanding is to be rather chosen than silver. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So the book of Proverbs talks about getting understanding all throughout the whole book. So if we're supposed to get understanding... Why are we not supposed to lean on it? Well, you see, of course, as you look at the text, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Meaning drawing conclusions and making decisions based totally on our perception of a situation. Because our understanding cannot totally comprehend every angle, every perspective on every issue. We are not able to do that. No one knows the future. And we even struggle to comprehend the present. We can never totally grasp all of the potential possibilities. It's beyond our ability to do so. And, and if we think that we have within ourselves the ability to figure everything all out because of something we feel, then we are either blindly self-deceived or incredibly arrogant. I want you to think back with me for, for a moment to the Garden of Eden. Remember the one tree in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were, were, were forbidden to not eat from? Interestingly, it was not the tree of life. It was not life that God was, was telling them not to eat of that tree from. He said, don't eat of the tree, uh, or the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's, that's the one thing God did not want them to have, is the knowledge of good and evil. I say, why is that? I believe it's simply this, that in order to handle the knowledge of good and evil, you'd have to have several things. You'd have to have, first of all, the ability to completely comprehend all possible options and all possible, or all the possibilities. 
You'd also have to have the wisdom to choose the right course of action. And then you'd have have to have the power to control the circumstances to make it all happen. In other words, you would need omniscience and omnipotence. You'd have to be all-knowing and all-powerful. Basically, you'd have to be God. Because only God can properly handle the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve ate the fruit, as you well know the story. And they and all of their descendants ever since, me and you, we've been making stupid choices ever since. Because we can't handle the knowledge of good and evil on our own. And in our pride and rebellion against God, we just choose sin over and over and over again. Because we think we have it all figured out. So I encourage you, read and study and research and plug in your brain and think about it. But never make a major decision without prayer and Bible study and godly counsel from mature followers of Jesus. Because so so many of the things that bring us difficulty and heartache in life, so many things that are the source of our anxiety and fear and doubt and anger with other people and, and, and anger with God, it is the result of leaning on our own understanding. It, it is insane to trust yourself if you can trust God. It is insane to, to lean on our understanding when we can look to the Lord for wisdom and guidance. He's all-knowing. You know the verse we have looked at uh, in time past, Isaiah 46. God says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I know the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that haven't happened yet. The great verse, Psalm 147, verse 5 and 6, He counts the number of the stars and He calls them all by their names. It's amazing. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. So follow your heart. No, absolutely don't. Believe in yourself. No, absolutely don't. In fact, we're right here in Proverbs. I want to show you one quick verse. Chapter 28, verse 26. If you're a Bible highlighter or an underliner, here's another one for you. Proverbs 28, 26. Kind of a straightforward slam with a baseball bat. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You think, wow, ouch, Solomon. Yeah, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Wisely meaning having wisdom from God. So you say, well, just follow your heart. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Believe in yourself. No. Solomon, the wisest man, says, Sorry, Hallmark, but trust your own heart, you're a fool. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. And in verse 6, back there in Proverbs 3, In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. The word direct there means to straighten out or to smooth out. Uh, and we'll talk about that word some more in just a moment. The word acknowledge comes from the root word to know. To, to recognize the presence of someone. And that's what's in view here. Solomon says, recognize the Lord in all your ways. Do you know God so well that you know what He wants you to do? 
many years ago when our kids were still at home, the girls were in high school, uh, every, every now and then one of them would say, you know, I was thinking about this question, Dad, but I think I already know what you're going to say. I'd say, oh yeah? How do you know? Just joking with them. Well, because I know you, they'd say, and so I know what you're probably going to say in the answer to this question. Nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they uh, had figured out sort of where I was coming from. I mean, I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. But, but do we know God so well that we are pretty sure what He wants us to do? Are, are we recognizing His presence in all of our doings? Asking Him to show us what He wants us to do. That is acknowledging God. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Recognize God's presence. Ask God to show you what He wants you to do. He's there. He's watching you. Acknowledge that. Recognize that. And when we do that, He says He will direct our paths. He will guide us. He will prepare the way for us. In my sermon prep this week, I was doing some word studies, and I, I came across a beautiful use of this word in, in 1 Kings 6. We won't look at the passage. You can read the story sometime. It's down toward the end of the chapter. This word, this word direct, the word that translated direct. Solomon was building the temple, or overseeing. He wasn't physically swinging the hammers. He was overseeing it as the king. And some of his craftsmen in 1 Kings 6 were, were building the doors in the temple. They made some doors out of olive wood and some doors out of, out of cypress wood. And, and down near the end of chapter 6, in 1 Kings 6, we see that, that, that they built doors to the sanctuary of the temple out of cypress wood. And they carved cherubim, which are angelic beings. They carved cherubim and palm trees and flowers in the doors. And then they overlaid them with gold. I thought, wow, that must have been really something to see. These, I mean, cypress wood is beautiful wood, having grown up down in, in the south in swampy areas. I've, I've seen cypress trees. I've seen cypress wood. I've seen clocks made out of cypress wood. It's, it's got some gorgeous grain. And anyway, they took, a, they took these, these, made these massive doors out of cypress wood, carved in them cherubim and palm trees and flowers, and then they overlaid the whole thing with gold. And, and when they overlaid it with gold, they would take very thin strips of gold, lay it out over the door, and then they take little hammers and they kind of tap, 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 and, and, and they and they fit that little that thin layer of gold over all of that carving. And and the word that is translated direct here in in our verse here in verse six is, is exactly the same word that talks about those craftsmen hammering it smooth. I I think the phrase in the New King James is they evenly hammered it. That is, they took that overlaying of gold and they hammered it smooth so it fit every single groove and curve in the carving. Very same root word, a different verb tense, but it's the same word. To, To kind of hammer it evenly, to smooth it out to fit the contours. And I thought, what a beautiful word picture here for us in this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will take the pathway in your life, and He will hammer it smooth. You see, when we acknowledge God in all our ways, He takes the rough spots and the curves in the road and the blind corners and the rocks and the potholes and the obstacles in our path, and he hammers them smooth. He makes everything fit. 
when we know Him, when we recognize Him in every part of our lives. Are you confused? The God of wisdom can guide you. Are you fearful? The God of all courage can uphold you. Is your life a mess? The infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God can hammer us smooth if you'll obey Him. My son, do not forget my law, Solomon says, but sow its truth in your heart. Show its mercy in your relationships. You'll see its blessing in your life, and you'll know its author in your choices. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We are weak and flawed human beings. We've made all sorts of poor choices. Even we who've known the Lord for a long time, Lord, you know I came to know you as my Savior when I was just a a young child. And yet there are certainly things that have been said and done and uh, along the way that uh, I would love to go back and redo. And Lord, I think if every person here today, if they were honest, they'd, we all have a few days in our lives we'd like to go back and relive. We all have some words that we would like to retract. We all have some choices that we would like to have a, have a do-over on. Yet we know, Lord, that's not possible. But we do know that in your infinite wisdom and your incredible power and your omniscience, your all-knowingness, Lord, you can take the mess of our lives, and when we begin to acknowledge you, you can hammer it all smooth. You can straighten it all out. When we, in all our ways, recognize you and look to you, you can straighten out those paths. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to live a life of wisdom, to be always, every week, sowing your truth in our hearts and showing your mercy and love and faithfulness in our relationships. Lord, may we see your blessing in our lives. And Lord, we want to get to know you better. We can know the author of our lives, the one who's guiding and directing and helping us. In all of our choices, Lord, may we acknowledge you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.